dedicated to reviews and discussion of TV, movies, and books. Look for us at Daily Review on Facebook and Twitter and dailyreview.com on the web. That's D-A-L-E-Y review.com. This is Paul Daly here with my wife, Caroline. Hey, guys. And today we're here to discuss the season finale of the second season of Hulu's Handmaid's Tale. This one is called The Word. Is the word bird? Not in this case, Paul. The word is not bird. I would say that the word is the word of the Lord. But do you think it could also be like more than that? Like just words in general here? Like you say the word? It could just mean reading. And that's a, even though we're focusing on reading the word of the Lord per se, it's, it's really a battle about literacy in general. Yeah, I was thinking of like, you know how it's sort of like you say the word and I'll, and I'll get going or something like that. It made me kind of think of sort of like the escape portion, oh, you know, like just right. say the word and I'm out of here kind of thing, you know, like, I don't know. It made me, it made me really try to think. I, I always like to give them the benefit of the doubt that there's multiple meanings. Clearly, this has to do with literacy and, and really being so concerned about the future of Gilead generally for even those who are true believers what is this really becoming so did you like the finale I thought it was action-packed I thought a lot of things happened I felt a little bit like we've been here before in some ways um because you know obviously this show is constantly about the the attempted escape and so at times you know it becomes like the you know well well haven't we tried to run away before you know over and over again yeah but this really did have some twists and turns that were very unforeseen and and made it very exciting what did you think i overall liked it it's interesting how they keep making serena joy more and more complex every every time she does something evil they match it up with something that humanizes her again i swear to god it's never anything like like her because that that word isn't in the in the repertoire for her like we're never gonna like serena joy but like you said humanizes her like you can kind of you can empathize in some form or fashion of like somehow as a human how she got herself into xyz or whatever you know Uh but never do you like her never are you like oh she could be my friend like no 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 (laughs) nope so do you want to start off with who today let's go we're gonna we're going by character, but it's it's important that we discuss certain things in order. We're going to do a little June, flip over to all of Serena Joy's story, finish up with June, and then go to Emily's story. So let's get started with June. And we start right pretty much right where we left off after Eden's murder, I would say. And Rita and June have been tasked with having to pack up Eden's things. Why do you think that June felt like she should tell Rita about sleeping with Nick? I couldn't figure that out, actually. You gave me a very hard question. I was supposed to ask you that. (laughs) I think that it was one of those times when, when you're going through somebody's personal things like that, there's this sense of, I wish I had known her better. I wish I understood who she was better. I wish I had a little bit more information about her. And and I felt like that's what we got from Rita. You know, she was really feeling regret and remorse that she hadn't done more to protect Eden in some way or been more, you know, just like like we said in the previous episode, she was no more accountable for the situation than any of the rest of them. And yet they treated her because she was going along with it like she was trash, you know? Mm-hmm. And the reality was she was a kid who was grown up in this society. And what did anyone expect, you know? So I felt like what I was getting was the same vibe that I got when they were in the market. And June and Emily started the sort of telephone tag of like, what's your real name? Yeah. I felt like her conversation with Rita and, you know, them sort of being more real with each other and Rita exposing her concerns and regret about how she treated Eden. It was also a time that June could say, you know, let me tell you something personal about myself as well, you know, and and so that you understand more of the picture because, you know, people are just gone from this world and they never get to explain what the heck they were up to, you know, and like Eden's Bible, right? Very true with June. She could be sent away at any time. 
Rita too, <laughs> please. Rita's don't, the Martha's don't have any, uh, you know, claim to to getting to stick around, right? Right. Yeah. So I think there's that sense of like wanting someone to remember you. You know, if Old Westworld says you're only as live as the last person who remembered you, right? Mm-hmm. Then I feel like you would get to that place where you're like, I need someone to know who I was and that I was here and anything about me. I think you're onto something with that. Like the uh, previous handmaid that uh, scratched things into the baseboards of the of the closet, right? It's the only way you knew that she even existed. And it was like like that cry for like, I can't be nothing, you know, honestly. And we actually heard that from Serena Joy in the previous episode, too, with her yelling, like, I have nothing. I am nothing. You know, that kind of thing. Like, you have to have some sense that, like, you exist and that you're here and you matter in some way. Usually you do that with kids. But in this setup, you don't get to. Mm-mm. If so, you're handmade. Okay, so we find this Bible, and it was such an a, a, a stop moment because at first you think, well, a little girl with a Bible. I mean, again, it's sad. It was obviously like a children's white Bible. You know, have you seen those at like a first communion or a baptism, even or something? But then it's like, wait a yeah, you, minute. You caught this before me. This is a girl with a book. Right, right. I was just like, well, that's a normal thing. She seemed pretty pious. And you're like, but she's not allowed to read. Exactly. So did you expect that June was going to run this to SJ? No. I'm not giving June enough credit for how good a person she must be because, dude, I would have given up on SJ a long time ago with, you know, all of the events that have transpired between us. But she doesn't. She keeps going at her like, like... I don't know. She's expecting something to, to to grow out of this relationship. But to be fair, she's not really doing this, having anything to do with SJ. Just SJ has power and she is trying to get somebody to look out for Holly. And so if she's saying to SJ, like, you've got to see this another way, like you've got to see this as like women not being able to read, not even the Bible, not even the most pious woman amongst us is allowed to even look at the word. How will your child ever learn the word? It was more about the baby, you know, and so she was appealing to her mom to mom, if you will. Which is ultimately the argument that Serena Joy tries to make later. So let's talk about the the consequences of this conversation. She, of course, has to be all, you know, salty to June and be like, get out of here. Right. But really, this stuck in her craw, Paul. More than her craw, I would say. This is like, this becomes her project. At the Putnam's house, they're having just like a bizarre baby shower day or something where like the wives are playing with the baby toys <laughs> uh, and and uh i think they were just hanging out i think it was a play date if you will uh-huh because mm-hmm. they're free from needing to yeah, worry the about burdens of the world right they can just hang out it comes to light that that naomi feels much that serena joy does which was kind of a surprise and a pretty big risk for serena to take to yeah. sort of like dip her toe into like a, you know, hey, how do you feel about changing the rules for women? It was interesting how they went about talking about it in very guarded, like, well, you could interpret it one way or the other. I'm not really committing to the idea that I want to form this rebellion with other wives. <laughs> it was smart though, right? Yeah. Because I mean, if anyone overheard them or if one or, or one of the other one turned on each other, you could easily be like, that's not what I meant. You yeah. know, that was just totally misunderstood. So how surprised were you when we actually ended up in that government chamber and all of those women showed up? Pretty surprised. I mean, because SJ went in there alone. Initially, they show up as like moral support and it was it was very interesting because the husbands were kidding about the did you forget your lunch money or whatever it was, Fred. Yeah, that and, was awful. But that's what they think of their wives as just that's that's all they can expect out of them is. Oh, yeah, that they would just be bringing over a handmade lunch that day. Right. That's why that they would even be there. The thing is, is they weren't there for moral support. I think they were there for numbers. They were there to say, like, all of us agree that our daughters as well as our sons should be learning how to read the Bible. And I think that it was it was clever of them to choose the Bible because how can you really argue that they shouldn't know the word, right? Like it's like this ironclad thing, like, well, our children should know the word. No. Like, how could you argue that with me? Wasn't that a very dark ages sort of approach to literacy? Like the clergy knew how to read 
and they were in charge of the Bible, but no one else knew how to read? Or was it that they weren't allowed to read or just no one taught them how to read? So it just sort of perpetuated itself. I would say that definitely literacy is control, right? Yeah. So then at various points in, in history, I would say, yeah, I mean, the the more educated you were, the better chance you could read. Then you had the control. Then, you know, if you were worried about just surviving day to day, you were not learning your ABCs. But particularly around the church. Yes, absolutely. Right. I mean, it was like all of the clergy were the ones that were actually like handwriting the Bible and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know that the Bible was kept from people in that way. I just don't think that they were literate, but it did have control because they could say here in the Bible, which you can't read and you're completely illiterate of, it says you have to give me all your money right. or like whatever, you know, bring me a turkey every week, <laughs> whatever, whatever they wanted to say, it said. So, I mean, that that was a lot of control. You know, that's funny. Let me let me sidetrack for just a second. Please. There is another Margaret Atwood book. It's a series of books called the Mad Adam series. And the first one is called Oryx and Crake. Very strange names, but Oryx and Crake. And there's, uh, it's about a future where everything's gone wrong. And there's a genetically modified society living in the woods, right? Okay. And there's one leftover regular human who kind of takes care of them because they don't know how to do anything really. And he is sort of their deity, and he's just a regular guy uh, who got stuck with them because he knew the guy who made them in the first place. Does, okay. That part doesn't matter. What relates to this is that they don't have literacy or anything like that. They just know kind of some things about hunting and fishing and that kind of stuff. But Survival skills. Right. But he is in charge of things related to being their deity, right? So he has written in to their religion things like, bring me a fish. Every couple of days, or oh or whatever, it's it's amusing because he doesn't really want to be that way, but on the same time, they have, he has all these people willing to do it. So, you know, he doesn't abuse them in any way, but he does write little things like that that and, make his life yeah. more comfortable, huh? Yeah, his snowman, the Jimmy, is his name. Well, and definitely, I feel like you know we saw this with Fred, where he had he keeps the Bible under lock and key, and whenever it's time to read scripture, it's very much like he just gets it, reads it, puts back in the box. Exactly right. So, yeah. I mean, the control part there. Now, I mean the the ridiculousness is, of course, all of these people in the room had familiarity with the Bible before Gilead started. So it's not like you're reading from a mystical book that none of these people had ever heard of before. But there's enough scripture in the Bible, and you could probably pick and choose and skip lines and do stuff like that to make it seem like, well, it's in the Bible. And I guess I kind of remember it's in the Bible. I don't remember interpreting it that way as you're being like beat with a stick in the office. But you know, you could say, well, I guess those lines are in there. I fully believe that the Bible the Gilead uses is the Gilead version of the Bible. It's, it's not it's not the King James Bible. It's mm, tweaked for their own ends. Which even kind of makes me wonder what Bible that Eden had. Because, I mean, it looked like a King James Bible. It said Holy Bible on the outside from what I could it see. Would have, it would almost have to be an artifact from the previous time because- I kind of thought it was. How else would she get a hold of it? Right, exactly. So, and, and I wonder in her own household if that was allowed for her to be looking at that or how could someone know she snagged it or what in the world? I don't know. Now, that's not the the, the vibe we got from her father. No. So, I mean, you know, that scene where it turns out that he's the one that actually turned her in. Oh, my God. What a freak. What an absolute freak. Was he at the I didn't notice him. Drowning? I didn't notice him. I didn't notice him either. I only saw her mom. And I, I really... We'll, we'll maybe have to go back and look at that episode to see, was he there? Because he was so like coming from outer space with his stuff, you know, being so apologetic. And I know in many ways, obviously, he had to say he was sorry on behalf of his family because the rest of the family could easily be executed for having a child who was do who did this. I just can't imagine being so fearful for your own life that you'd offer up your kid to be the one that's going to take it for you, you know, the punishment. Well, what I mean is after the fact is like the fact that the daughter actually misbehaved, they could still kill Eden's whole family sure. just for that, you know, much like they did in 
the handmaid's household, the commander and all the staff and everything where the one that actually blew up the, the Rachel and Leah center, you know? Yeah. I think it's insane. I would never turn our kids in. I would never like, I just don't care. You know, I, none of this would happen. But again, it kind of like, let us know how insane this place was. And heading back to the, to the government room there, the, the chambers, what did you think about the fact that Serena Joy decided to double down and uh, actually get out the Bible and read? In the short term, that worked really not in her favor. But on the other hand, it told us kind of a lot. It told us that the wives were only willing to go to a certain point for this literacy thing. Because most of them, when she started reading, ran away. Right. Um, maybe by the end of it, all of them ran away. Right. So that gave us some some look at the the level of the fear and all that kind of stuff. And her getting her pinky chopped off may be the final straw that turns her into someone else next season. Someone who who is not going to go along with this Gilead stuff any anymore and, and has a way to kind of uh, sabotage it. Okay, so I want to go back to the actual scene where Fred comes out to the hallway and she's like, so what did they decide? That was a big question mark for me. Like, what was his role in that decision? I don't know. I, I would love, love to have heard something about what their conversation looked like. All I can assume is that it was happened so quickly. It seemed to happen so quickly that it was like a non-conversation. And what was he saying? Because if you notice, this is kind of gross, but they didn't chop it off like right at the at the joint there where where the pinky meets the hand they chopped it off like a knuckle up right so there's still to be. so it, in a perverse sense i wonder if that was like a concession like to being like the boss's wife right yeah yeah it seemed to be it seemed to be but 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 you're you're going further than i want to go those guards pulling her down that hallway with fred being like mm, that was a side of torture with these two that although we thought the whipping scene was pretty awful, this was different because she didn't know what they were going to do to her. And he had actually punished her by this, like by, I assume, a third party. Proxy, yeah. Yeah. And so who even knows what he was going to do? And after this point, I want to say that Serena Joy's hair has always been like slicked back into that bun. And from this point on, there was like a hair that was always like a bang type of thing that was always hanging out of her, her bun as if to say like, she's not fitting in anymore. Like this isn't working out, you know, but she came back from that pinky missing so shell-shocked and his demeanor, his like, we've had quite a day. Was right. so messed right. up. I mean, it was like that's what you say when like your kids barf on your car carpets or something. Like, well, we've had quite a day. Not when you get pieces of your body removed, and not when you instructed right. someone else to remove parts of your spouse's body. Like, I mean, that's a level that's like, <gasps> I mean, I don't. When he's like, okay, I'll go get you some tea. I don't even feel like I could go back to that house in any way. Like, I feel like I'd be like, let me just stay in the in the amputee room. Like, I'm going to need some time in the hospital, you know? Well, she seemed pretty shell-shocked and PTSD'd, like, right then and there, you know? Absolutely. Like, I wondered if, I don't know how this society works. Do you think that they, like, do anything? Do you think that give you any anesthesia or do anything? Is this just, like, do you wake up? Because remember in the... With the commander, wasn't he under anesthesia when they removed the the hand? Like he just woke up and he had no hand. Yeah. So I wondered if she was sort of out of it because was she given anything, any type of sedative or something in order to do this? That's kind of a weird part about the like punishment versus if you're like a commander or a wife or something like, you know, if obviously they just burn your hand. They don't give a hoot. But like with Emily, she woke up. Mm -hmm. And everything had happened. So it's not like they did it to you when you were awake. Not like this is any different, you guys. This is all awful. But it's the protocol of it that makes it extra insane to me. Because it's not like a impulsive, like we have with June and Fred, when they're arguing after, like, let's go to that scene. So Eden's dad leaves, okay? And she is incensed that the father actually turned in the daughter. And when she looks at him and is like, what are you going to do? How are you going to protect your daughter when they come for her? And Fred hits her. 
that was like a moment of passion. You know, that was just like a smack. She does it back, which was like, holy shit. <laughs> I can't even believe she smacked him back. What yeah. is going to be the punishment for this? And the whole thing, though, was like more of just like a physical release of this whole thing. I kind of think the dude got off on it myself. Oh, Jesus. Really? Is that well, the thing? He didn't do anything to her oh, after that. Man. You think he just enjoyed that? Yeah. Back yeah. and forth, if you will. Yeah. Ooh, that's creepy. Okay. So my point is, is like, that's so different for him to lash out and hit her, even for him to like whip Serena Joy in the house, than it is to send your wife off to anesthesia and surgery prep to have her finger removed. You yeah, know what I'm saying? The heat of the moment kind of thing where like someone comes over and just cuts off your hand is like, well, that's on that person that did that. Or they like just... burns your hand in the terms of like Aunt Lydia, right? It's like happening in the moment, right? But but what you're saying is that there needed to be like a physician's assistant and a nurse and an anesthesiologist and an amputeeologist and the finger looks sewn you know, up and like clean a and hospital like administrator and there had to be guardians and it had to be all this stuff that that yeah they're all party to this disfigurement i was like ready and waiting to do this like right. oh my god i mean i know you guys there's there's no point in time when anyone can say like i'm shocked at this society i mean not really but just when you really lay it out of like all the different layers of insanity that have to be in place in order to go through with this type of torture it's like oh my god these people are depraved going back to the patterns of the first season it was like kind of in the same segment where Putnam learned his fate, right? Yes. Where he I was going to get his own amputation. Yes, 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 yes. And it was one of the first times that we realized that like, oh, like a commander or a wife could get like these different points, a commander or a wife could be punished like this. Yeah. We'd really only seen handmaids and like sort of the various ne'er-do-wells they felt were existing in society, but certainly not a commander or a wife. Right. You know, so this was like a big step in all that. About midway through the show, there's a scene where Nick and June sneak into Holly's room and they give a chance for Nick to hold his his baby. Do you suppose that the orchestration behind the escape had already been in place? Or do you think this firmed up for Nick that this was what needed to happen and the extent of the role that probably is going to get him killed that he would take in the escape. I think that two things happened in that scene. I think that Nick solidified his bond with the baby and his realization that like, we need to get her out of here. There was that unanswered, I love you from June. That was pretty surprising, frankly. I was surprised when she said that. Well, you know, his wife was killed yesterday and he was still pretty kind of not sure how to feel about that, so... No, not the unanswered part. I'm sorry. I don't want to focus on that. Why did June say I love you? She That's, hasn't said anything yes. like that this entire time. And she's married. And he just saw Luke two or three episodes ago in Canada. And they just had that back and forth. So this is going to sound bad. she compelled but to say I love you? It felt manipulative to me. Okay. Okay. You know? All right. I don't know. Maybe that's a wrong read on this whole deal. Maybe she does, in a way, kind of compartmentalizely love him like how how like if if alexis were staying in schitt's creek she'd marry ted but if she's leaving she's not marrying ted okay right? i get you i right. get you on if that I'm, if i'm here in gilead i can love you i love you right <laughs> if i'm on my way out i have a husband and other right. stuff going on yeah totally understood okay well i i thought the other part to that scene that was really important was that rita was in the hallway and she was gazing on the three person vignette there with nick and june mm -hmm. and the baby and my feeling is that nick and rita conspired right after that scene and they together 50-50 were how the, the the escape attempt was planned plotted you know the cool thing that i just realized about the the escape plan with the marthas is Compared to The Handmaids, you know, in the first season, there's those scenes where it's like, you shouldn't have given us all the like, uniform if we're going to be an army or whatever. And right. the thing about The Handmaids is that they're watched too closely. Very true. Way too closely. And they got blown up right away. You know what I mean? Right. But the Marthas, I don't think anyone gives a shit about the Marthas. 
you know? True. They and sh- I think they are underestimated because they're undervalued. Yeah. Then they underestimate the fact that these women could do anything. Because, you know, I'll be honest with you, a lot of people, especially like in a Hollywood setting, but but in the world, there's a point in time where women specifically feel like they just sort of fall off the face of the earth. Like for at some point in time, it would have been after 40. The women of a certain age. All that, that crap. The act- all that crap, say. right? Well, yeah. where you have no value anymore. Like you you don't. You're, you're not a sex kitten. You're no longer a mother. You're... You're useless to us. And so in that way, I feel like that they are being like ignored in a great way for them. You know, they're able to do this entire escape in a way that I thought was so smart and amazing to watch. I mean, it was so much more exciting to watch than any previous escape attempt. (laughs) You know, like this was exciting you know so let's get into it a little bit well first they had to burn down a house <laughs> that's pretty exciting stuff right There's, it's like they're they're feeding the baby oh what's that outside oh it's a gigantic fire across the street exciting business and then you perfect have, idea a distraction right in then, a place that you think probably is not very well equipped they probably don't have all the modern things that we have you know in fact when i saw the the modern fire truck going to take care of it. I was almost like, this place is so old and backwards. I didn't think that they would have <laughs> Wait, a regular they, fire truck. They were gonna have like the bucket brigade try I, to turn off, try to put out the fire. It's hard to to keep thinking of Gilead in modern terms because they seem so backwards and old fashioned, just yeah, old, like in, another time, in every other way. So yeah. So then, when we have Rita run in and tell June, like, get the baby, this is your moment. Like, you're getting out of here. And I love she's like, go get your shoes. <laughs> it was like that was kind of funny. Um, so she ran, she got her boots. She had sort of a moment in the closet there that I thought was very symbolic. You know, she was grabbing her shoes and she was leaving that closet you Mm. know that had been this source of isolation and this place of like a like a coffin for her and that not only the room but then the closet you know yeah and she needed to actually be able to grab her stuff out of her tomb to get out of there like that never happens to the dead you know and hannah's picture and Hannah's picture. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So important. So when they first are starting to head out and you realize that Nick's given the nod and there's all this stuff and you're like, oh, my God, Nick's involved. It's not just Rita. Nick is also a part of this. My heart was like starting to beat so fast. And you realize freaking Serena's in that greenhouse and she's got to get beyond the other side of the greenhouse. Ah, what were you thinking? I was thinking that that baby's going to give her away at some point with the because babies don't stay super quiet all the time. You know, do you know what was key about that distraction? A fire and a fire truck is loud. Yeah, it's loud. There's all the sirens and the yelling and the everything. What better way to disguise a baby crying? Honestly, even a baby cry wouldn't even necessarily get your attention because there's like all this wailing kind of sounds going on. Right. So smart because they could have done a thousand things to create a distraction. But this was so clever. It's not without cost, though. Fred figures out what's going on. Why do you think he figured it out so fast? Did you expect him to figure it out so fast? No, I did not. I was really surprised that he ran to the baby's cradle. What? Wow. I mean, okay. Obviously, they live in a house with June flight risk (laughs) offering, right? Right. I mean, she is constantly a flight risk. In fact, it's shocking how often no one is paying attention to the fact that Rita's in the room or Nick's chitty chatting up in her bedroom or whatever. Like, it's like, how is there not like a guardian at the bottom of the stairs, you know? Well, there's an opening on the staff right now. They, well, that's true. Isaac has left a great void in our in our staff. But also, I guess, they trust Nick, right? I guess. Yes. So then in that case, him going upstairs, he, I guess he could just say, like, just checking on her. I thought I heard a sound. So what do you think this costs Nick? I can't imagine. The part, okay, so just for you guys to remember, Fred's running around realizing that they're gone. The baby's gone, that June is gone out of her room, and Nick says it's too dangerous for you to go out there and like holds his hand against fred's chest a really cool camera move actually i loved it because it focuses on the hand on the shoulder between men that really have no call to touch each other so it's like you know there's that and then the, the camera follows the arm across his body down his waist 
to where he has his gun holstered, which he pats a little bit. You know what I mean? <laughs> that uh, I love that camera move. I like that confidence out of Nick. I mean, I know that can't last forever. He can't keep the commander in there for the rest of his life. But do you know what it was interesting, though? It was um, it was two Papa Bears. I mean, I guess I should give Fred some props, really, honestly, that I guess if there was an emergency going on across the street, might the first thing we do be collect up our kids, make sure we had like a head count of our children, make sure no one was outside, no one was anywhere, everyone was in their room Absolutely. where I expected them. Yeah. So I guess we should, instead of saying like, how odd that Fred ran up to the nursery, guess we should give him some props that he actually was falling into a fatherly role with her. He actually went to check on his baby. What a surprise. Can I say something else that is going to sound kind of strange and really strange now when I really think about it? The stranger, the better. I know that it makes best sense for a Martha to have caused the fire across the street. But the way that Serena Joy is hanging out in the greenhouse, there's nothing a part of me that thinks that she like set a fire or anything like that. But... I just wonder. I wonder about her her mind and exactly where she's at. It was interesting that she was outside the house when it happened, I guess. I, guess uh, I don't think I she had anything say. to do with it. I mean, she did attempt very passively to stop the escape. Well, let's talk about that part. Did you expect her to be successful? Did you expect for June to allow her to give her a hug goodbye? Do you expect Serena to give the baby back? None of that played out how my instincts told me it should have played out. I thought Serena would make more of a fuss. I thought June had every right to be like, go fuck yourself. I'm taking the baby. Bye. And then when she finally had the baby, you're right. I thought she was going to keep her. But really, this all tells us a lot is going on inside Serena Joy. And she fundamentally now does agree with the idea that girls are better off getting out anywhere else. What does this mean? I mean, she spelled it out in the previous episode that the only reason, the only reason why she agreed to this society was so that she could have a baby. Right. And now that she's letting the baby go, right. I mean, that is nail in the coffin that this is O-V-E-R. Some part of me would have been like, take me with you. I was Serena Joy. I'd be like, let's all run. Let's all get out of here. Yeah, you're that, still nursing a nine and a half finger situation. That might be coming. Yeah, I mean, she's still, she just had the finger removal that day, right? The, a couple hours previous, so, dude. So, yeah, she's, she may still be loopy from anesthesia. I am pretty positive that the finger cutting off is what made all of the, that was the extra icing on the cake. Like if it was Nick holding the baby, Rita seeing the little family here, and then her coming home with the with the nub of a finger, I think that the the entire house staff was like, danger, 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 Will Robinson. Well, and of course, they just buried Eden, mm, yeah. a child, a little girl child who's only 15. I mean, they had all, all flashers pointing to get out, get out now, baby. Well, if Serena Joy had somehow come home successful, no way would she let that baby go. She'd be like, mm -hmm. oh, no, that's right. Absolutely. No way. She absolutely would never have gone along with it. And I don't know that, again, if Serena Joy had come home successful, June might have felt like, okay, there's hope here. And Rita might have had a different feel on the situation. And everyone might have felt differently. You know, the whole house yeah. would have felt like a small success for women, you know. And this was just such the polar opposite that really did anyone have a choice but to like have a backlash. Right. equally gigantic backlash here. So before we get through the entire escape, although I do want to talk for a second about that Rita, that Rita, that Martha standing up there on the, in the rocks there. And she has to like hand the baby up and like crawl up there. Oh, and yeah. they do that thing. Oh, it was so amazing. It reminded me, I was joking with you that it reminded me, was it 101 Dalmatians when they do the dog barking from like one yard to the next yard? To I, the think, next I think yard. it is. Yeah. And it's like, you know, like everybody's in trouble. Someone needs help or whatever. And the watching them run through every commander's backyard, there was something that was like so satisfying about it like having to run by each commander like and you just ran by another one and you just by you know like another one didn't see you another one another one it was like oh my god yay you know yeah but i didn't know where we we're going 
I had no idea where we were going. Me neither. Was it ever going to end up with a vehicle or was it just going to be like a cross-country trek through everyone's backyards? <laughs> right? We've got about 95 more neighborhoods to get through. <laughs> right. I was like, oh my God, where are we going? Okay, so the where are we going, let's crank it backwards and let's get over to Emily so that we can join us up at the end here. Tonight's the joyous first ceremony. What a busy night in Gilead, Paul. We've got... Serena Joy and the wives showing up over in the government chamber. We've got fingers getting chopped off. We got first ceremonies for Emily. It is a big, big night. Yeah, big day, big night. Emily's mindset for this last placement here is significantly different. I mean, she was despondent in the in the previous ones that we had seen. You know, she tried to kind of hang in there. You're right. This time she uh, <laughs> she grabs a knife <laughs> when, when it's time to go up. Like a the little little bell sound. I was like, oh, that's gross. Oh my God, it was so gross. Being summoned. Yeah. I can't even, I cannot even imagine. I mean, she was ready to go all the way with... I'm making like the the psycho knife. The psycho wheat, wheat, wheat noise. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So then when it turned out that Aunt Lydia pops up on the scene. Yeah, like the morning after, she's like, I heard it went great because the commander was going to play along. He was like, yeah, uh, perfect ceremony. Awesome job. Do you think like Lydia shows up like this because people like Emily are sort of like her special projects? Or do you think that's just part of her rounds? I got to think that Emily is somebody you're keeping a special eye out on. I got to imagine she's hanging out to see what's going on at Janine's house. And maybe with everything having gone on, I I don't know. Obviously, Emily is a special, special case. Do you suppose Lydia survives this? Because Anne Dowd is performing, even though she is done plenty of evil stuff she is such a satisfying character and a popular character in a way i do think that she will she will survive and i'll tell you why because they made a point to show us that it was like a steak knife now if it had been like a gigantic butcher knife i might have felt differently about it but i mean even like a big knife i mean it takes a lot of cuts to kill somebody And she goes into like the shoulder You know, like a very meaty part of the back and the shoulder. Right. right? I mean, it's possible that she could have punctured a lung like from behind like that, you know. But I mean. I think she probably got more hurt from the stair pushing and the. I would think so. You're right. Kicking. There's Yes. All of that. All of those things. What did you expect to happen with this commander and this entire freakish car ride? I thought he was taking her out to like a field, you know, just to be done with it because. Why was he so crazy with the radio? I don't know. What the frig was that? Where'd that song come from? I mean, is is that an 80s song or a 90s song? I couldn't remember. Walking on Broken Glass. I mean, it's it's such a stupid song. I feel like 90s, but I'm not even sure. Yeah, uh, it's kind of like Wilson Phillips era to me, you know, like something okay, like that. yeah. <laughs> but it's so silly. And she, what, what was it? She's like, can you turn it off? He's like, oh, you're not a music fan? Like... Well, you know, I just tried to commit murder. I've got mine on other things. It was Annie Lennox and it's 92. So, yeah. So we were right on that. But I mean, it's not that it's a silly song. I mean, think about what she's what they're saying. Walking on broken glass. I mean. Yeah. Well, we learn later that that actually does have a meaning. And and it's like intimidating. And it's juxtaposed with this silly poppy beat. You know what I mean? That it's actually a very serious thing that that Lawrence and to an extent Emily are doing. But with this boop, 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 kind of, kind of beat. I think it was psychological torture. I mean, I think you're taking it the wrong way. I think you're thinking it's funny and like this weird juxtaposition, but I don't. I think he was intimidating her. I think it was making something like your life into nothing, into a stupid pop song, you know? Mm. And I think it's, it was like another way to belittle her, another way to be so deranged you know it's like when they show the serial murderers and they're like playing like little children's songs and stuff while they're like cutting someone up you know it's it's like mental you know but given that he ultimately lets her go this part okay that was such a twist in the story because it matches basically nothing in anything that happened with lawrence i mean nothing well, I, I don't know where we get from here to there. There were a couple of things that do kind of add up, like 
how basically a lot of handmaids have run through his house. Interesting. And the wife says, says something like, I never get to say goodbye or, or, or whatever. And then the other part that adds up for me is the question and answer that they had about her background. It's almost like he wanted to, this is sick a little, but he almost wanted to make sure that this was a person worth the effort. You know, that if I'm going to, if I'm going to risk getting in trouble, I'm not releasing back to the world, just anyone. You've got to be somebody that's going to have an impact. And I think her impressive background matches that resume, you know? Okay. Okay. That's, that's my gut read on it. I guess there, maybe people could feel like there was, and maybe you feel like there was like little tiny breadcrumbs along the way, but. Only in hindsight. He was so. I mean, and I and I don't mean to say that in anything like this was bad writing or the character wasn't capable of this or anything like that. I mean, he comes off very like bipolar or something, you know, I mean, he comes off almost schizophrenic or something, you know, Mm -hmm. where there's points in times when he is Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. Maybe that's why he could be someone who could save someone one day and be the architect of Gilead another, you know, like there's something to him that is straight up bizarre, you know, Mm -hmm. This was not in a gajillion years what I was expecting. When the car pulled up under the bridge and, you know, they got out, I was like, what? (laughs) I mean, this was so shocking. So shocking. I think that was more shocking than how it actually ended. That moment of him actually delivering Emily safely to an escape point was more shocking than the fact that June determines that she's going to hand off the baby and go back for Hannah. What do you think? Which was more shocking to you? I agree. I I, uh, I know that's not a not great podcasting, but it but I do agree with that assessment. In that, I didn't even really get the sense that we should have expected that their two adventures were simultaneous. You know what I mean? The car ride and the uh, escape from the Waterfords. I guess, you know, they were they weren't really cut together exactly at the same time, you know? Okay. I, I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess you're right. I mean, in a way we we knew they were both happening at night, I guess. Yeah. Maybe. I don't even know. Why would Aunt Lydia be there around? She wasn't there at night, so this was like later. They had her locked up in a room. The Martha locked her up in, in her room for right afterwards. Right, right, right. But it, it was just I don't know. Like, like you said, like I, I really, I, I guess I was so, so like enthralled with what was going on with June and the baby and stuff that it, I kind of slipped my mind about where she was heading or what was happening, you know? Yeah. So when she showed up, it was just like a Jack in the box popped out like, Rah! it's totally <laughs> Emily. Like, oh my God, you know? Okay. So does this mean that Emily and the baby are, do you think they are successfully going to make it out to Canada? Well, or will there be like a safe house in between or what? I bet we see some of their some of their uh, adventure because it's you can't make it that easy. I mean, Moira, we only got to see a little bit of hers, but what what we did get to see was pretty hard. She had to go through some people. She had to run across the border just in the snow. Even if we got just a little bit like that, we need we still need this journey out of Gilead in our minds to be so hard that you just can't try it willy nilly. You know what I mean? You need this level of orchestration or effort. Where do you think that June will head from here? I mean, so she walks away and, and the doors close and we know the baby and Emily are heading one direction. June's heading the other direction. Where is she going? If she goes back to the Waterfords, I'm going to feel really not happy with that decision. I think she could be more effective as a rabble rousing free agent. How does that work? Where could she possibly be? What, what would happen here? What could we even guess could well, happen? She'd have a lot to figure out, but I think there's probably a lot of empty houses around. Okay. Okay. She'd be all on her own and she'd have to figure out everything, like getting fed, staying safe, all that kind of stuff. But I just don't feel like it does her any, any good to go back into the system, you know? Oh my God. I, I hope she does not. I mean, I, I don't even know what to think. I mean, I don't know what the Waterfords will do. I don't know how we will keep up with the Waterfords if June isn't there. Because, like, we didn't keep up with the Waterfords when June was off in the, you know, uh, warehouse, you know, waiting around. Just just little little bits, but not enough to know what was going on. No, Rita said you don't know what it was like when you were gone. So it was like, you know, like, we weren't getting the picture over there. And so now I'm like, I just don't even know 
I don't know what will happen or how this will happen and what will the Marthas do? You know, how will this all work out? It's crazy. So let me ask you this. So now we've had the end of season two. What did you think about this overall season arc? And how do you think compared to season one, did they give us enough new twists and turns that it's like, is season three just going to be the same thing? We start off sad. We have an escape attempt. You know, like, what is season three going to end with her getting Hannah out? Like, where can this go, especially patterns wise? That is fantastic question, because the pattern so far is everything's bad in season one. And then in season two, they show us that everything is actually worse, right? So they show us the institutionalized statutory rape of of young girls, rape in the in kind of the sense of fifteen is not really old enough to to expect that decision to be, um, what do you call that? Like consent, Cons- like not yeah, consent. an age of consent. I mean, I understand the rape is kind of a legal description of forcible sex against another person, and if your laws say fifteen's okay, then fifteen's okay. But, uh, I mean. Come on, everybody. Anyway, um, so we get that part of it. And what else did we get this season that kind of drove it to another level? We got the beating of of SJ just being okay. Yeah, those things. So so we got Gilead as, as, as looking even worse. And I don't know that I need another season of, well, if you think that was bad, Let's let's show you what else we can do. Exactly. Um, exactly. Like, I don't have any need to go back to the colonies and see anything there. I don't know what this means. I mean, I got to think maybe possibly does it open up this idea of like an underground railroad life? Like maybe there's other people who are living not exactly like in the sewers, but you know what I mean, right? Like somehow off the grid, but yeah. within the society. Yeah. Is that a possibility? I think it is because I don't think they can watch everything. They, they, I mean, they're so low tech about so much stuff, you know, they need eyes on everything, physical eyes, you know what I mean? They haven't shown a lot of that kind of 1984, you know, recording devices in every room kind no, of and, stuff. And, and weirdly so, because I mean, again, this was a modern time. So like in the hospital when we were all like, it's weird that they were like in the hallway talking and everyone's like, well, maybe there's no cameras, but a regular hospital would have cameras. So what did they do? Go through the trouble of cutting them or something? I mean, like, wh- why would you do that? Seems in, unlikely. In a control state, you know, why would you Why would you cut off any, any area that might have some opportunity to see what people are doing? I'm not sure. I'm trying to think. So, all right. So our main characters, I think if Nick makes it to next season, I mean, if it doesn't start off with him in a grave deal of trouble, I don't understand how this... <laughs> And continue, you know, with like Fred and him. I just, I don't see. I don't this, see how Nick's not toast. I don't know how either, you know. And In I fact, think, I'm not sure how he survived this long. Do you think that we will like see his death and everything, or will it just be like a foregone conclusion? He was a main character, so yeah, main characters don't get just like that's Nick hanging from the wall. You know, they, they. I think we have to see that kind of thing. So unfortunately, yes, but I don't see how he survives. I just don't see how Fred's going to going to let this go. And he's not going to kill Fred. So I think Nick's a goner. Okay. And so then do you think that if June is off the grid now, then will we, who, who will we see? Do you think she's going to go back? Will she work with Lawrence in some way? I mean, now she's seen his face. Didn't Lawrence drive away before the, the, the exchange at the truck? Yes. So... I don't know that they that they really know each other exist enough. So now Lawrence has Lydia also back at his house. How do you think that goes down? Is this like a misery situation? Where is Aunt Lydia? It would no be, one's seen her. It would be simpler for Lawrence if Lydia was dead. Mm, you know what I mean? But what are the chances? He's not that kind of person. I really don't think he's that kind of person. I mean, he seems like the opposite kind of person. I mean, he keeps his wife around. Wouldn't it be a lot easier for her to be dead? Well, the wife, I think, is a complicated situation that we have almost none of the data on. Right. You know, and there's probably really good reasons. Not probably. There's There could be really good reasons why he's locking her up like that. By really good, I mean, like, actually, he cares for her a lot and doesn't want her involved with any of his shenanigans that, just that for her seems own safety, fair, right you know but in the in the meantime she's kind of going crazy 
because of the treatment or whatever. Right. Well, I mean, if she steps out the house and starts yelling like Gilead needs to go down or whatever, I mean, some like guardian or somebody would grab her. So yeah. it is for her safety to, to keep her away from others. It This is such a complicated little part here. I mean, I'm so glad that there's been a crack in the facade in terms of like, not just SJ, but I mean, Lawrence in general, like shows that there's clearly a a path to get out of here. And it's confusing in that it just seems like it's interesting that he's hanging out in there and creating this path. You know, I feel like he could just leave. Going back to Nick. He could survive a little while if, since Fred knows that he was in on the escape, then they they might need someone that they can interrogate and and see more into how this happened, rather than just flying off the handle and executing him right away. You know what I mean? So you could see Nick come back into it from the other side being forced, kind of like how he was forced to marry the girl, Eden. Maybe he gets forced into helping find june or the marthas or whatever next season by some sort of leverage that they have that was different this would be backwards to eden like he had to marry eden to go along with their societal rules or whatever but like he wasn't hurting anybody or killing anybody or doing whatever and in fact he didn't want to hurt eden you know i don't see him buckling under pressure to like give names or whatever for martha's like that doesn't seem that doesn't seem like it's the equivalent you know like Mm -hmm. that that seems like actually I, I didn't say it was a good reason to keep Nick alive next season. I just thought that that was one way they could Maybe they him. would try, but I don't think you I don't think it makes sense that he would cave. You know, like why why would he, you know? See with Fred, you say that it's Papa Bear's instinct it check on your child when there's an emergency next door. I'm also thinking of things like I think that there is status that comes from having a kid. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's and, true. I mean, remember that big portrait's hanging in his office and, and having, now there's no baby. And having the baby missing, the handmaid missing, and now your driver is part of it. That may be a w- way that Nick survives is is that it's uh, like- Too humiliating. So embarrassing to have your whole house turn against you. Mm. How do you keep your power if you can't well, don't manage forget your, your own wife house? just came to the government chambers and read in front of everyone. That, Don't forget that. Right, right. Exactly right. It looks like Fred has no control over anything in his life. Mm, and I think in Gilead, that counts for a lot. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Well, I very much look forward to season three, even though I know a lot of people, they feel like me where it's, I I don't foresee this being a show that we go back and watch for fun in any form or fashion. Negative. So it's, but it's, but it's interesting. It makes you think it, it has a lot of twists and turns. It makes you, um, you know, really understand what good writing and good characters look like. And even though sometimes I feel like the storyline is like repetitive, um, I would say maybe it's more like patterns and that, you know, they've discussed at one point that like people have patterns, you know, and this is what people do. You know, they continuously try to find the weakness in their cage. And that is consistently what June has done. I'm so glad that uh, for all those people last season who was like really angry at her for uh, even considering leaving uh, without Hannah, you know, at any point. Yeah. That now the, I hope that there's a lot of redemption for the character that people see like, nope, she got the one baby out and that was always the plan was getting one baby out. And now that she could successfully do that and now she was a, just a one person, you know, fully autonomous, uh, you know, adult now that she could actually go save Hannah, that she's willing to stay and do that. And so I think that that's amazing. I agree. I'm with you. And I'm ready to be done with this season. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening, you guys. Thanks a lot. Catch us on iTunes or your preferred podcast software. Our website, dailyreview.com. That's D-A-L-E-Y review.com. Facebook or Twitter or wherever you find us. Please leave us a comment and a rating to let us know what you think of the show. Thanks for listening, pot people. Thanks for listening to my mom and dad. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Just go home, folks.